Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show, you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern way. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to episode number four of the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. This week we've got part two of the conversation that we actually started last week talking about Tennessee Velvet success. We've got Taylor Philpot and Justin Grogan on the show again. And in last week's episode, we heard the story of Justin's velvet buck there in Tennessee, not far outside of Nashville. He was able to take a beautiful buck there on a private piece. This week's story is very, very different. So this week we have Taylor Philpot's story. This is a three-year journey for Taylor to get a public land velvet whitetail there in Tennessee. He's got an awesome group of guys that he's been working with. He has put in the time. He's put in the hard work. And, man, it just hadn't happened for him until this year. So in this episode, we're going to hear the story of how it all went down. We're going to hear the strategy of how he got on this deer. And we're going to hear how, you know, a couple years of history really went into the success of this specific trip. If you didn't hear the first part of this conversation, go listen to last week's episode, part one, where we talk about Justin's buck. Also, if you haven't already, head over to reviveoutdoors.org to learn more about their awesome ministry. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Taylor, let's hear let's hear the the saga, the chronicles of your last couple of years, man. Because uh, if I head to Tennessee, I'm going to be in your boat, right? It's going to be it's going to be a public land grind. And I'll be honest with you, man, I find the idea of hunting in August like I feel like if you can find the bucks you can probably find them moving in daylight. So that's not going to be the huge problem. I feel like the issue is going to be the elements that you're fighting, uh, probably some of the pressure that you're fighting because of, you know, having to be in a specific zone to be able to do this on public. Uh, and then, man, just ticks, spiders, snakes, heat, all the things. So uh, let's hear the story. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the allure of August velvet, rifle gets a lot of people right and people are like man i can go to public land and i can use a rifle and i'm, I'm i've got to go do this hunt and what i saw is i got up there tuesday and uh, i like to get up there before everybody because the bucks are just completely unpressured like there hasn't been a car go down the road and slow down to glass the field hardly and other than a few locals you know that ride around just for fun but and, and farmers but i uh i have become friends with a lot of people up there and they had kind of given me some Intel. I had ran some cameras. Um, so I knew where some like one thirties were and, but I had heard rumor where some, a little bit bigger bucks were. And so that's where I kind of focused my energy. And, um, on Tuesday, the pressures, you know, inexistent Wednesday, a few people show up Thursday, everybody's like parking on the same road and glass in the same fields. I mean, it's really odd. And Friday, everybody's like at their spots at 2 AM or they slept the night before to to reserve their spot. And then Saturday morning, everybody hunts. And then like everybody just starts to vanish. 
because the, the conditions are so oh. miserable. I mean, the, the, the feels like temperature was 110 to 115. Oh. The humidity is insane. Like I literally had sweat, sweat dropping, dripping off my nose. Like I was, you know, in the shower. And then you have these mosquitoes that if you get down in the swamp bottoms, there is no way you can avoid getting thousands of bites. If you get in the fields, they're just as bad, um, or they're not, they're like half as bad, but then you have the sun to deal with. And so that's miserable. And then you also have these flies that are giant little hornet looking flies that bite you. And so by the time Saturday gets there, that's why so many people drop off. So I'm talking, we had probably 30 to 35 people hunting, you know, this area of public land. And by Sunday afternoon or Sunday, even morning, there was four of us left. Wow. And it's the same four that have grinded, you know, every year to the last day and, and had success. And I, I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget that Sunday in, and so Saturday, the front started coming in Sunday. It's still there. And we got about an hour and a half to two hour break with the beaten sun back out and it not being overcast. And I, really wanted to go home because I'm like feeling defeated again year three haven't done it and you know but I'm like man you know like Justin killed this buck that'll be good enough for us you know we'll get some content out there and I'm like nope I'm not gonna be a quitter I'm gonna go and get this deer and if I have to go home at five in the morning I have to go home at five in the morning because I'd work the next day and um so I'll kind of pause there and then let's talk about the last few seasons so Yeah. Season one, um, season one, I, uh, was in probably the the best shape I've been with all the injuries that I have. And I decided I was going to walk and I was going to learn and I was going to hunt hard. And, um, I got tons of poison oak and I walked really far and I found a bunch of, a bunch of like historical mineral sites, which I was able to put cameras on this year. Um, which you're not, I don't think you're technically allowed to do that out there, but if somebody's already done it, I'm going to make use of it and put a camera on it. Um, especially the ones that are very, very far back in the woods. Right. And so last year, so I hunted that year, um, saw like a one young eight point that I just couldn't bring myself to shoot. And, um, it just sucked. Um, I went home Sunday morning cause I was like, this is terrible. So I was like one of those guys. And then I'm like, I'm never going back to there. That was a t- bad hunt. And then year two, um, my neck and back had really been starting to give me a lot of issues last year. And so I'm like, man, I'm going in as minimal as possible. And I'm, I'm hunting as close to the truck as I can, just because I physically can't do anything other than that. And I saw a, a pretty good bit of deer last year and um, was feeling pretty good about it. And then the morning, Saturday morning, a bachelor group passed in front of me and one was a, you know, a booner and one was a 150. And then the other two were probably shooters for most people. So I got four bucks that go across me right before daylight. So I just pull over on the side of the road because they went right from, you know, uh, pub, you know, they went into public. I'll just kind of leave it at that without giving it away. And so they go into the spot. And I'm glassing from the road and I'm like, man, I could smoke them right here from the road, (laughs) but you can't. So I'm like, I'm going to try to dive down into this field edge and kind of cut them off. 
and I can't do it because what people don't realize in Tennessee, it's not like the Midwest where the soybeans, you know, get maybe to the top of the deer's back. They literally get over top of the deer and over right. top of you. Right. I mean, you're talking six foot plus soybeans. So I get down in there and I can't see anything. And I'm like, man, if I climb this tree, the tree's too thick this time of year. I can't even see out of it. And so I back out. I tell our whole group of guys, hey, this is where these bucks went. If we all surround this area, somebody's going to kill or multiple people are going to kill, hopefully, a buck. And so we set up all around it right before dark. You know, this guy that lives across the street comes pulling, you know, I see him pull up to his house, see him go inside because I can see him, you know, my binoculars from the piece of public I'm on. He comes out with the gun and an orange hat, which you don't have a vest on. And he puts, he, I see him bolt the rifle or load the rifle and he puts it in his truck. I'm like, well, that was interesting. He goes riding down this road and he comes back, which I know there's a field down that road. He comes back and he comes creeping by my field and I've got my orange on. I'm like, please God, let him see me. Like, don't shoot towards me. And then he goes and he parks on the side of the road where I saw those bucks that morning. He sits there for like 20 minutes mm. and it's getting more and more closer, you know, to the last light. And I'm like, this dude is about to one poach this deer because the one little field he's looking at currently is private. And that's where I saw the deer last. Mm. And then two, he's about to have seven witnesses show, listen to him blast a, a rifle from the road and kill this deer. And then three, he's going to be shooting towards all of us. And so that's pretty scary. So finally he moves up to the next field. And I'm like, I wonder if he saw anything. And um, so I just kind of look over there with my binoculars and uh, I don't see anything the first time. And then I look over there, you know, maybe 10 minutes later, cause it's really starting to get dark and I see the buck, the big, big one. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's by himself, but he's on private. And he's like maybe 10 yards onto private. So I'm like, you know, there's that part of you when you get in that situation, like this is a booner in Tennessee and it sucks. And you're like, I'm just going to shoot it. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, he'll no, run this I, way. I, he'll I, run this way. Right. Won't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, he'll run back onto public. It'll, that's, it'll that's be right. fun. And then, you know, in your mind, you're, you're like, you think those things real quick and you're like, no, like if I can't beat the deer at his game and do it legally, like I'm just personally not going to change my moral compass for an animal. And it's not fair to that animal that I didn't beat him at his game, you know, even though he don't even know the game he's playing. And so, um, what I did instead is I went down the property line and I started shaking trees and he like looks up. And he looks back and he just starts eating again. I'm like, well, dang. So I go down the tree line a little bit more and then I start rattling the trees and I'm like, hey, hey. And he looks up and he starts actually kind of like running at an angle towards me, which I knew what he was doing was he was running towards a big giant block of woods and he would disappear forever. And nobody was that direction. So I take off kind of running down the tree line as best as I can with my messed up neck and back last year. And I cut him off and he, he kind of like does a turn like a horse around a barrel barrel racing and then he goes out right through this opening on the public and I knew that somebody would be sitting there and I'm like dang is anybody gonna shoot him anybody gonna see him I know it's almost last light and about that time I hear man 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 boom and I'm like oh yeah so I hear him run back in the beans and crash and my buddy Jacob Emery ended up killing him we measured him as a booner but velvet if people don't know shrinks considerably more than any kind of antler and so I think he ended up scoring like high 150s so he was just below you know that that booner mark but when we initially measured him with all that blood flow and everything still in there I think he came to 167 
uh, just a heck of a buck and just a huge team effort. It was so much fun to, to see someone have success on a hunt that's so miserable. Yeah. And so this year, this year I'm like, okay, I'm going into this and I'm going to share where I see decent deer. But like, if I see like a, a really good one, like ah, I might keep my clothes, my cards a little closer. And then uh, the Intel I had on a couple of really big deer that are pretty much unhuntable because of the mosquitoes and just where they're at. Um, I didn't tell anybody about those cause I was asked not to. And, um, but the deer that I was seeing, I still shared a little bit and was okay if somebody killed them, but I was really trying to kill this deer that's a nine or 10 point, like around 150, 160. And where he's at, you can see him from one portion that um, you can't really get a shot from. And then when you get down in there closer to him, it's just high corn and beans and CRP and you just can't, you can't, you can't see him. It would, you would have to get really lucky for him to come out a very small margin of open area while you're down there in that area with him to, to get a shot. And so I tried for three days and just decided, you know, I had been seeing the deer that I killed, you know, I've been seeing him multiple times and just kind of kept him on the, as like a card in my back pocket. If I really want to kill something the last day and, and by the time the last day that there, like I said, I wanted to leave. I wanted to go home and I'm like, man, there's that buck over there in that one area. He's traveling from the woods into the beans, into the corn, and then out of the corn into the beans or into the CRP. So if I go set up over here, I'm going to have a vantage point where I can, you know, either shoot him from, or I can move to him and get a shot. And it was about 30 minutes before last light on Sunday and I thought that, uh, you know, I had 30 minutes left, but because it was so dark clouded and overcast last light became like it shortened by 20 minutes. So I had about mm. 10 minutes left of visibility through my scope. And I realized that. So I started glassing like crazy and I caught a tip of his antlers. And instead of coming from corn to, to beans, which he most of the time did, he went from corn to CRP and then into the beans. And so the way he, I had to maneuver around is I tried to get elevated on him as much as I can, because the beans were literally at the top of the tip of his antlers from where I was at that current time. So I had to move over to a more elevated position, got to 175 yards from him. And all I could see was like a line, like it ran from like his nose back to his like under ear. Like that's all I could see. And I didn't film it because it was so, you know, it was getting so dark. I was like, man, there's no point in running over here and trying to set up camera and everything because it's never going to get the shot. It's just going to be a dark mirage and you're going to see a gun go off. And yeah, not really the best footage. So going back to what Justin said earlier, like I'm shooting the deer from now on. I'm not worried about the shot, especially last day of the hunt after three years of grinding it on this public land, miserable thing. And so I aimed at him the first time. And I just kind of guessed what his body orientation was and aimed for his neck. Well, when I did it, um, you know, I found this out after I found the deer, it literally shaved off his summer layer coat. Like you can see the bullet ripples through his neck and just shaved off his hair. Like, so it missed him. And he just kind of like acts like nothing happens like a bullet, a 308 bullet just went zooming by your neck and shaved your hair off. And he probably thought it was one of those mosquitoes biting him. <laughs> and so he sits there and I, I'm like, dang, he didn't even move. So I bolt another one in the gun and I shoot and he mule kicks that time. 
and he goes running about 20 yards away from me. And so now he's about 195 and he just starts looking like he's eating again, which he might've been like reaching back to like lick his neck because that shot was actually a through and through neck shot. Okay. And then, um, cause it's, it's impossible to get a body shot on, in these situations out there. Like right. everybody pretty much has to take neck shots and, and most of the time. And so he starts to going back to what looks like in my scope, normal, deer activity like nothing ever happened and he might have been licking his neck or you know he might have been bleeding out but i didn't know so i bolt another one and i shoot and that time i hit the spine in the neck and dropped him and i'm thinking yeah like i got him like this is it this is the moment i've been waiting for like woohoo you know so i pull up uh spartan forge app and i I mark the um, location i'm at and i mark the location of about where i think he is at and then i you know i call you know, I start calling people and saying, Hey, I got a deer down. Is anybody still in town? You know, can anybody help me? Cause like, I can't with my back, I can't do this alone. And, uh, unless, you know, I mess up the farmer's soybeans and, you know, get my e-bike and jet sled in there and tear everything apart, which I didn't right. want to do because the farmer got mad at us the year before. Uh-oh. And so, um, so we, uh, I come out, I get my bike and I start trying to search for the deer myself and these beans are as tall as me when I get down in there. Like, this is going to be bad. So I knew there was about a, a, a 50 by 75 yard area that we needed to pretty much grid. And I knew that I thought that at that time I had missed the deer twice and shot him the third time and dropped him. So therefore there would be no blood, which really the way the through and through shot was the second time on the neck, there was no blood anyways. And so I looked for a while and finally everybody got there and we start grid searching and grid searching and grid searching. And then finally, uh, my buddy Clay Harper that was there to help me, him and Jacob Emery and, and Anthony, uh, Jacob's uncle and the local park ranger showed up Tyson and, um, they were all, we were all grid searching and Clay's like, well, and he had literally just tripped into my deer. Like the soybeans were so <laughs> thick. The, the, the beans weren't parted or anything. I mean, he just literally just stepped on the deer and he called me over there and we saw it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is the nine point that I've been seeing, you know, every day that I've been kind of keeping in my back pocket. It's actually him. Cause it was getting so dark in the scope. Once I zoomed it in at, you know, 175 yards, I really couldn't tell if he was that buck or not. And I knew he had at least eight points. So I was like, okay, I'm shooting him. And, uh, got him up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a stud. It's like finally like the end of this saga. And, uh, I'm personally like on a journey to kill like a buck in every state, um, that they live in. And so going back to the same state for three years in a row has really mentally bothered me because, uh, you know, that's just, I feel like I'm a better hunter than that. You know, it's like, come on, you know, (laughs) I shouldn't have to take three years to do this. And, um, so it was just a, like a full, like completion and, um, yeah, it was just a relief, honestly, to be able to, to do that. And then for Justin and I both to get a velvet buck down to start our season off as a team is, man, it was just really special. And then in our group, Anthony, which is Jacob's uncle, he ended up, uh, he got an eight point, a real nice eight point, um, Stuart, um, that was, he's with the hunting grounds. He got a monster of an eight point it's kind of like a weird 
looking rack, but it is a massive deer and the pictures don't do it justice basis based off what you see in your hand. But man, it was just a cool weekend. Um, there were some guys from Louisiana that tagged a buck I had on camera too. Um, and so it was, it was really neat to, to see a lot of people come out and have success. And for those that didn't, you know, there's a few, few guys in our group that, you know, they've come every year and they haven't tagged one yet. And man, it makes me really sad for those guys. Cause it's, I know it's gotta be hard to invest that time and energy and effort. But for those of us that tagged out, you know, we're really fortunate and blessed and you know, the way things align for our team is, you know, it's just, as always, it just feels like God's hands in it. And, uh, we're really blessed by it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really good. And we give God all the glory for, you know, the friendships that we make and the memories we get to make. And it's, uh, it's just something that we don't take for granted. And, and we're very, very grateful to have the opportunities that we have. Yeah, man. So what, as I think through, you know, some guys go up, have success. Some guys don't, you struggled third year, finally got it done besides just like a couple of tough breaks, like what are the things that are setting people apart who are having success? I mean, I'm sure you and your group, you guys are probably all hunting pretty similarly. Um, You probably don't have a lot of people who are just, their hunting styles just vastly different, but like from you guys and the others maybe that you see out there, like what are you guys doing different? That's, that's leading to some success. Yeah. So something that the game warden and I were talking about, because me and him are really good friends and, you know, he's, he's out there all the time. And, um, the technician that's out there all the time, you know, they see deer and, you know, we were talking about, you can sit the same exact field two days in a row and be like, man, there's not a deer on this place. And then the third day you don't go sit it or somebody else sits it or, or you do sit it and a bachelor group pops out on the field edge and you smoke them. And it's, it's really just, you know, right time, right place for a lot of guys out there. And then, you know, for me this year, I figured out a lot of what you were talking about earlier in the podcast is the deer in my mind, because of the way people have explained it before, I thought deer go from one individual bed to one individual food source destination early season, bed to feed, bed to feed. It's a bed to feed pattern. And what I have found is that bucks for the most part will stay on a, a, a generalized bed area to a generalized food area, um, about on a three day pattern, because I had been told the buck that I was chasing that was the bigger buck had been seen about a mile down and across the road on private land for the most part prior to us showing up. And so he kind of stayed in that area for three days. And then this buck was doing the same thing. Wood, soybeans, corn, CRP. It was all within just like a generalized little area. There were some other, you know, eight points that, you know, maybe one was probably a little bigger. I would have wanted to shoot, but they were in an area that was kind of the same thing. Woods, you know, soybeans, CRP, corn, you know, they're all just kind of going back and forth. I, I personally think the deer are living in the corn during the day. Cause I would catch them, you know, running across the road, you know, in my headlights, just driving around or I would catch them, 
you know, right at daybreak, I, you know, like fog was really bad one morning. So I was just driving around and, you know, had some run across the road out of woods and, and like to run into corn to take cover for the day. And so that's, that's another thing. I think they live in the corn and they stay in the corn until after dark, especially once pressure is applied and they start hearing those tires on the gravel road because you can hear them from miles away. And so I've even, what I tried the first year is get as far away from the road as possible and try to find, you know, that corn, soybean, you know, woods area and set up on it. And it's just so much effort and such miserable conditions. It's just not worth it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that you can kill a deer that way. But, you know, what I'm trying to do is is find the overlooked spots that the deer are slipping in and out of. And, you know, that's, that's what I ended up doing on this hunt is finding a deer that, everybody was driving right past every day and the other one was the same way i just you know i just couldn't get down in there and and kill him and uh yeah so that's that's what i've realized is what separates the guys is you know you got to find the deer first but realize he's not coming out in the same exact spot and he's not going to the same exact spot every time but he's going to be somewhere in that area in most cases right right yeah that's really good and i think especially thinking of an early season hunt like that, where they're like, it's August, their their whole temperament is different. The pressure has been different. Like, if I can check four or five of these kinds of spots that I want to see, you know, with the corn, soybean, CRP, woods kind of all coming together, like if I can find four or five of those that are close to the road that I can go check out each one, that to me is better than like having to make a two-mile jog back into the timber with all my gear like fully banking on this one and just like crossing my fingers that it works out. You know what I mean? As a, and, and that's going to wear you down way faster. Like, man, you get to day two or three, you know, <laughs> schlupping around a, a stand and all that stuff. It's like, man, I'm, I'm about done, you know? Yeah, that's right. And I think for me too, is, is that season has educated me on, on deer behavior and then looking at cell cameras and, you know, trail cameras over the years is I've always ran about 20 to 30 trail cameras a year. Um, and once I find a target, I start moving all those trail cameras to that area to really try to learn that deer's behavior and personality. And what I have realized is that, you know, the deer will will do that kind of rotation of stay somewhere for a few days and go somewhere else. And, I don't know if they feel like their food source is kind of getting down in that area and they want to let it regenerate. So they go over here and then they move. But, you know, my trail camera data over the years has not showed one particular buck that I'm targeting, stay in one particular era area 24 seven and just go from that isolated bed to that food source. And it, it may happen for people, but that's just not what I've experienced. And that's not what I've seen on this velvet hunt, which is a lot easier to see the deer behavior because there is, no pressure yet. And, you know, I think that what happens is instead of these deer taking more broader, open, riskier paths, they start isolating themselves to the thick cover to take the same ultimate travel corridor. That travel corridor just goes to a more narrow travel corridor that they're using in a, in a thicker area. And so it's, it's been very interesting for me as I've hunted different states and I've hunted different times of the year that I start to see the same behavior but it becomes more, um, it, it, the, the bucks start to lower their risk tolerance and they start to put themselves in situations that are just not going to get themselves killed if they can help it, of course. And so I try to really, as the season progresses, you know, that area that that main big buck was using, you know, he may be starting to drop down into the levees and into the drainages or not the levees. He's starting to drop into the drainages and, 
in these canals and, and staying down low where no one will ever see him. And, you know, once the season really pressure, you know, the pressure of the season really starts to get, he might not be up elevated as much as he was, you know, there's, I think that that's what happens. I think the bucks are still in the same place. I think they're just changing, you know, where the pressure pushing. Right. Right. So if I had to push both of you and I said, Hey, look, there are guys who are listening to this right now and they're thinking, uh, forget all the terrible things you guys have had to endure when you're in the, in Tennessee doing this velvet hunt. I want to go give it a shot. What's one piece of advice that you'd give them? Just go. Just go. I mean, and, and there's a lot packed into that, but you're not going to have that opportunity if you don't make it an opportunity. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've been one that has sat around for years saying, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. Well, you know, it took a little push from my wife, but I finally said, you know what? I, I'm going to, I'm determined. We're going to, we're going to make it happen this year. So I went on Tennessee's website, bought my tag. I said, okay, I've got a tag. Now I've got, we got to find a place. And I was, like I said, I was going with Taylor. Um, and, and luckily I was able to find a place uh, in the Nashville area and uh it, it worked out so whether whether you're somebody that wants to go and seek out a private spot um there's ways to do that uh even being out of state i think i mean the seek one guys do that all the time in uh, multiple states uh so right. access access is there um it's whether you're willing to put in the work and the effort to get it yep um and then there's always public um that just that would probably take a lot of time to get out there earlier before the season or before the, the hunt, you know, May, June, July, kind of do some scouting. Um, that's not necessarily feasible for everybody. Uh, we, we're lucky enough to live just a couple hours away. So it's a, a day's drive and a couple hours of scouting and days back or, um, you know, we can be back in a day. Right. Um, so that makes it a little easier as far as the scouting goes for before the, the hunt. But uh, that hunting in August is nothing like I've ever done before. And it's nothing, um, it's not for the week. I'll say that. <laughs> Will you um, do it again next year? I don't know. Um, yes, because of, because of the success I had this year, if, as, as long as I still have, uh, access to some property or whatever, um, that would be, I'm definitely going to buy a tag for Tennessee next year. Okay. Whether I hunt the velvet or not, I don't know. Um, I bought the full season tag, so I still have one more Tennessee tag. Um, I may go up there during the rut and see what happens. Um, but like I said, the, the best part about August is the, these deer were not pressured yet. Uh, the cover is unbelievable. You can get in just about any tree and you're going to be almost invisible. Um, that my situation when I let the deer walk, when I should have shot him and he came around behind me, uh, now I had to swing all the way to my right, stand up. Well, I wasn't prepared for that. I had a huge branch coming across my shooting lane, my camera arm. So I had to draw my bow, push out over my camera arm, and then I was hung on a branch. And and by now he's looking at me because I'm making racket. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to happen. I can't believe it. So I just paused, got my bow unhung, settled in, and got on him. Um, but looking back, once I got down, I was like, there's no way he saw me. There's so much uh, vegetation and greenery and everything. I was like, that makes sense. Cause I was like in November, that deer's gone. There's right. no way you can make that much movement and the deer's hanging around. Right. And so 
I didn't understand it while I was in the in the tree. I just thought, man, God's good. There's no way. And uh, so when I got down and looked at what his vantage point was, I was like, that makes some more sense. <laughs> yeah, not not quite as uh, not quite as easy to to pick you out for sure. Right, for sure. Taylor, what what piece of advice would you give folks? Yeah, I would uh, say if you're wanting to do the the public land Tennessee um, velvet hunt, is really just wait till it gets dark and grab your spotlight and just drive the roads and and shoot one from the road and hope yeah. you don't get caught. Man, that's a really good. That's a yep. really really. You know, I'm from South Alabama, so down there, man, that's uh, that is kind of like how most people kill their first deer. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, really, as far as tips go is, you know, Justin hit it. You just got to go and you got to experience it. And you just, if you're not there, you can't do it. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, my tip would be is, is, uh, let me, let me really think about this without, you know, giving away too many secrets or getting a bunch of guys <laughs> mad at me, but, um, really probably, um, you know, if you're friends with any of the guys that we hunt with, there's going to be an open spot cause I'm not going back. I'm going to focus on, you know, future States. So I'll probably try to do South Carolina velvet hunt, uh, next year for a velvet hunt and then maybe try, you know, Kentucky or you mentioned, I think North Dakota or maybe even Nebraska. I think they all open early enough and there might be still velvet on the antlers or maybe not. So I've thought about doing those. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if you know the guys we go with, reach out and see if they have an open spot. If you can take mine, um, work together as a team, be willing to, to share information. And, you know, I think honestly, like, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it karma or, or, or God's, you know, destiny or plan or, or favor or whatever. Um, you know, I think really just you go with the open mind, open heart, and you're willing to help others. You know, it always comes back to you. And, you know, that's where I feel like I was at. I truly like, you know, when Justin killed his, I was honestly like relieved that I didn't have to kill one and get something on footage. But, uh, you know, I never thought like, man, I got to go kill one now to match Justin. It's just like, I'm, I've got to a point in my, my hunting journey where I just, I live open-handed and I'm, I'm genuinely happy for anyone that has success and they're happy with that success. And I think having that mindset is probably the best tip I can give you, not just for this hunt, but for any hunt, you know, you just go forward with, with a positive mindset and, and you're for everyone. And I think that attitude will uh, always lead you to, um, you know, success, even if you're not the one putting the tack on the deer. For sure. Um, so that's that's where I would leave it. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what I was looking for in the deer, but really you just, you kind of, there's got to be a little bit of like, oh man, I saw a buck. And then you just kind of go from there and learn, you know, their behavior and, and what they're doing. You know, don't push in on them too hard. Let them come to you. And uh, maybe it'll work out out to where they pop out before it gets dark and and you'll get lucky or you'll see them you know before it's you know too too late in the morning you know you catch them before they go back into the corn or to their bedding spot where you can't see them anymore for sure awesome man so all right reviveoutdoors.org is where people can find you they can find you on youtube revive outdoors on instagram what is that at revive outdoors revive uh revive dot outdoors on instagram and then um, YouTube is uh, at Revive Outdoors for him. And so the number four and then him for, you know, God. And then uh, Facebook's just Revive Outdoors. Perfect. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good luck the rest of this year. I mean, it's hard to, uh, 
it, it, it it's going to be hard to top it. So it may be all downhill from here. But uh, you know, if it is, good talking to you anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, know. Josh. Yeah, yeah it, it might be, but you know what? That's um, that's hunting, and that's how it goes. Um, right. You know, you you can go and kill uh, three booners in one year, and then have three years of no success. It's just kind of how it happens. Um, like I said, it's been it's been a long time since I've killed a, a nice deer um and so it just kind of happened this year so um it just is what it is uh but basically uh you just got to be in the woods that's right that's yeah right. i'm hoping that god really gives me uh the same favor i had for turkey season because if i hunted 14 days and killed 10 turkeys that means if i do the same thing for deer season now every time i go back in the woods from now on i'm going to kill a deer Hey, you know what? That's not a bad... Because I've already burned up those extra days. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Man. Good stuff. Well, guys, like I said, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Everybody go check out Revive Outdoors. And, uh, hey, we'll catch you next week. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that. Until next week, let's keep doing things the Southern way. 